this morning we're finishing our series we've called God Dreams. I can remember when I was in elementary school, uh, we were playing outside, I think I was probably fourth or fifth grade, and this uh, small twin-engine plane flew over the playground. And, uh, you know, instinctively, when a plane would come over, you know, some of the kids would, would look up. Well, unexpectedly, something fell out of the airplane, some big round roll of something. And, and it was spinning and started to kind of unravel a little bit. It just fell. And it captured the attention of one of the kids who looked up at it and then started pointing and talking. And then another kid saw it. And before long, you know, the whole playground was looking up, watching this object plummet to the earth. What is it? Where is it going to land? So we started to follow it. We ran across the field trying to guess where it would land so we could pick it up. We ran across the parking lot, past the gym, across the speed bumps, down the main driveway, and stopped right at the highway. Thank God that we didn't jump out there and get killed looking for that. It seemed to drop for 15 minutes. I mean, I probably didn't drop that long, but it just seemed to drop and drop and drop and drop. Finally, our teacher caught up with us, and we couldn't go any longer, and it fell out of uh, sight in the tree line on the horizon. We never found out what it was. But there for a minute, we were absolutely sure that we were going to catch it. Now, have you ever seen anything fall from, you know, 15,000 feet? Your chances of intercepting it are like negative 12. I mean, it's probably never going to happen. But you talk about disrupting recess. To us, it wasn't recess anymore. This isn't hopscotch and playing tag and jumping rope. It had, been a, it had transformed into this moment that was transcendent. It was our dream that we would catch in that moment something that had fallen coincidentally from an airplane in the sky that happened to be flying directly over our school. That is how dreams work. They capture your imagination and they raise you above the level of just ordinary everyday stuff. They fill you with hope and motivation and energy. Nothing will change your everyday behavior like a dream. And that's what happened in our hearts in that moment. It completely disrupted all of recess. It was total chaos. Why? We were captured by something we saw in the sky that was bigger than we were, and we were willing to do anything, even ignore the screams of our teachers to come back, come back. Uh-uh, we were going to get it. And it was a race. There was a man in American history that had a dream that changed our whole country. In the early 20th century, Henry Ford had a dream that he could make automobile transportation affordable for the average family. He was laughed off the stage. But 15 years later, Henry Ford's Model T had been sold by the millions for $290 apiece because he was captured by a dream. Dreams capture your imagination. They tap into your passion and they change your behavior. Did you know that God has a dream for your life? When he made you, he had something specific in mind. And that's what this whole series has been about. We've called God Dreams. So I just want to review quickly where we've been and show you where, where we're going to end today. The first Sunday we said God gives his dreams to those who walk with him. It's a natural overflow of your relationship with God. Two weeks ago, we said God gives his dreams to those who have a growing, holy discontentment. There's something, some righteous 
frustration that bubbles up in you that says, this thing in the world is not the way God wants it to be. And I can't stand and watch it anymore. I have to do something about it. Last week we said God gives his dreams to those who pursue his story. In other words, God has this overarching story that's larger than the whole universe. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has purposes in mind from the beginning of time through the end of time. Eternal purposes, we call them. When you pursue those purposes, when you pursue that story, God fills your heart with his dreams. Today, I want to end here. God fulfills his dreams through those who will commit to seasons of transformation. What do I mean by that? God doesn't fit the dream to the dreamer. He fits the dreamer to the dream. God will always give you a dream that you can't fulfill as the person you are when he gives it to you. God's dreams will require growth and change and faith and patience and waiting. And If God gave you a dream that you could fulfill as you are when you got it, that's not a dream. That's called today. You already got that. But God gives you a dream so that you will stretch. The goal in life is not the fulfillment of the dream. The goal is that you and I might take the journey. God gives us the dream in order to get us to take the journey and to go through these seasons of transformation. David started out as the, a little brother of a bunch of older brothers, but he ended up the king of Israel. Daniel started out as a young slave and ended up the head administrator in Babylon. Joseph started out as the youngest brother of 12, then became a prisoner for 11 years, and finally became second in command in Egypt and staved off a famine for the people of God. Abraham entered Israel as an outsider and a foreigner and became the father of many nations. The apostle Peter started as a fisherman and became one of the 12 disciples who stood and preached on the day of Pentecost. Between the moment that they received the dream and the moment the dream was filled, fulfilled, what do you think they went through? A lot of change. A lot of internal transformation. They were completely different people at the end when the dream was fulfilled than they were at the beginning when the dream was given. So let me just sort of summarize all of that like this. You can't do what God has called you to do until you become who God's called you to become. So God is in the internal transformation business. What does that process look like? It's a process filled with different seasons of growth. And what I want to do, if you have a pen you might, or you would take notes on your phone, you might want to take something out. I'm going to give you a, a, a lot of notes today, a lot of thoughts today on about those seasons of transformation. I'll show you where I've seen them in my life, and I'll show you where I see them in Scripture. Here's the first season, and I'm calling them seasons because you and I are likely to go through them multiple times in our lifetime. The first season is the seasons of inspiration. This is when your spirit is in turmoil. This is when you're feeling stirred and ideas and possibilities and passions are just bubbling over. This is like the kids who see the thing fall from the airplane and <gasps> instinctively, like an animal reaction, you know, animal instinct. You just jump out and begin to pursue. Something, something has captured your imagination. This is Moses when he was at the burning bush. This is Abraham when God said, look up at the stars of the sky. If you can count them, you'll be able to count your descendants, even though he's too old to have kids. 
Something has grabbed his imagination. This is Joseph's dream that he had and went and shared it with his family. Hey, uh, I, saw, I saw this dream of you, of my whole family bowing down. This is, if I had to guess which season of life Kingwood Church is in in 2018, I would say this month of 21 days in prayer and fasting, this month of January in 2018, we have just entered into this season of inspiration. We as a church are in a season where we are beginning to dream, and I think we will be in this season most of, if not the entire year. Now, if you're in this season personally, what should you do? I want to give you a focus so you'll know how do I deal with this. Here's your focus. Your focus is your next step, not the whole picture. It's not Moses' job to hear God say, I'm going to take my people from slavery to the promised land. Now go do that. You're on your own. No, 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 no. What is your next step? Not the whole picture. In uh, 1994, 95, I don't remember when, I remember when this entire campus was being constructed. And I drove on this property with my father-in-law and, and wife and uh, family and we drove up here, and as we drove up, the CDC, which was the first building, whatever year that was, 93, 4, 5, whatever it was, the first building was being built. And the footers were in the ground, and that was it. And we pulled up on the kind of a dirt pad here, and uh, I stood beside those footers. When I set my foot out of that car on the ground right over there, uh, this is, you know, 1994, I guess, God spoke to my heart and said, one day you're going to pastor this church. Now, that scared the liver out of me because I was young and very inexperienced. I'd only been in ministry maybe a year, and I didn't come from a ministry background, background and I'd never envisioned doing anything like that, never wanted to be a pastor. I was very happy being a youth pastor. But God spoke that to my heart, and it rocked me. And I had no idea how to, it was very overwhelming to me. My first thought was, I can't do that. And that was true then. Fifteen years later in 2009, we came here and were received as your pastor. But I'm not the person I was then. And I couldn't have done it then. And there's days, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but, I digress. <laughs> God takes you through seasons of change on your journey to become the dreamer that you need to be to do the dream that he gave you to do. So the whole picture belongs to God, not to you or me. I, I would have wrecked the thing if I would have tried to figure out how to manipulate the next 15 years and make that work. Your job's not to make the whole picture work. It's to take the next step the Holy Spirit has given you. See, God dreams give you direction. They do not give you details. So go the direction he gave you. Don't look for details in the dream. Number two, there are seasons of preparation. Moses spent 40 years learning in an Egyptian education system. Then he spent another 40 years learning among the sheep about spiritual leadership. At the end of 80 years of training, Moses became the leader he was supposed to be, and he led the Israelites from bondage into the promised land. 
Jesus prepared for 30 years for three and a half years of ministry. See, the preparation time is more important than the ministry time. If the preparation is done right, the ministry will be an overflow of what God has made you. Paul the Apostle was educated at the feet of one of the most educated men of his day. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. But after he got saved, he prepared and prayed for three years. You know what I, I've noticed in my own life? Oftentimes when I've been in a season of preparation, I didn't even know I was in one. And, and one of the big goals that I have for this message today is that you will find what season you're in before you leave today. You will be able to identify it because if you can identify it, you can lean into it. You can participate with it. Most of the seasons of preparation I've been in, I didn't know I was in one, but I knew I was frustrated and I wanted out. How many of you have seen the movie Karate Kid? Come on, let's go back. Come on now, raise it up. Be proud. Be proud. It's a classic, isn't it? Never thought that'd be a classic. Man, that, that ages you, doesn't it? It's a classic. Ralph Macchio wanted to develop karate hands, but his mentor has him waxing cars and painting the house and sanding the deck, and he's thinking, what does this have to do with karate? And then he does, watch this, he does what we always do when we're in a season of preparation and we start getting frustrated, we doubt the motive of the master. This old man's not teaching me anything, he's just using me to get his chores done. That's the temptation of the season of preparation. Then Mr. Miyagi steps out and says, Danielson, remember this? Danielson! And he goes to attack him. And he says, wax on! Wax off! And he's thinking, holy smoke, I know karate. I know what I need to know, and I didn't even know I was learning it. Isn't that interesting? And that's what God does in your life and mine. We start to complain and say, I could do a lot more, but you've got me waxing this stupid old car, sanding these floors. I could speak to crowds and you've got me in a little Bible study. I could be doing so much more and someone asked me to serve in the nursery. It's preparation, preparation, preparation. Most of the seasons of growth are painful, but it is in the middle of the pain that we're most willing to change and let God do the inner work that we need done. We become desperate enough to surrender to God on a deeper level, hoping he'll get us out. So what do you focus on in the season of preparation? Humility and serving. Stay humble and keep serving. When I was a teenager and I knew I was called to ministry, I used to cut the grass. We had a big, long front yard in our church. Went all the way to the highway. And I used to cut the yard for the church. And I can remember my pastor, uh, you're going to laugh, his nickname, his last name was Chapman, and his nickname was Happy Chappy because he was always happy. And he always had a joke, and he's always smiling. And he'd always come by me when I was cutting the yard. He goes, hang in there. He'd point at me, hang in there. That's how I got my start. And I was half encouraged and half mad at him. You know what I mean? Like I appreciated what he was trying to do, but, but I thought, what does this have to do with anything that I'm called to do? But can I tell you, from this perspective, I can look back and see that God was shaping a servant's heart in me. It's not the task you do that matters. It's the heart with which you bring to the task. And if you can serve at a low task, you can serve at a high task. 
That's what leadership is, is servanthood. If it's not servanthood, it's manipulation. It's power. It's something else. But that's what, that's what ministry's about. Number three, seasons of insignificance. Spiritual growth in most lives, most of our lives, usually contain a season or seasons of insignificance. Where you feel like what I'm doing is not working or it doesn't matter to anybody. The purpose of the season of insignificance is to get you isolated. There are actually times that God wants to get you isolated. Isolated from your own ability, isolated from your talent, isolated from your fame, from your friends, from your success. And what do you do? You begin to focus on God, you put your faith in God, you begin to trust God to help you get out of this season. That's exactly what the season is for. Now, sometimes God has to take everything else away so that you can learn total dependence on Him. Now, what I want to do this morning is just give you uh, quickly three, three types of isolation that I've seen. Uh, one is ministry isolation. There are people that come into your life and go out of your life. And every time you lose or change your relationship, it is a painful experience. Sometimes you lose a ministry partner because they've been promoted. And that can be lonely, can it? How come they get to do that and I don't get to do that? Sometimes you lose a ministry partner because they begin to walk away from God. And that's discouraging. Sometimes you lose a ministry partner because they walk away from you. And there are those seasons of isolation in serving, in following God's dream for your life, in doing what God wants you to do that are painful because there's some kind of separation. Paul the Apostle, it happened to him. Maybe that's encouraging. He said, Demas, Demas has forsaken me, he said, having loved this present world. But Paul said, I want to go on in the ministry that God's given me, and Demas doesn't. The only way I can do that is let Demas go. Every time someone separates themselves from you, you can't take it personally because it will hurt. You just need to understand there are some relationships that are only for a season. And they were good, but that season has changed. Some of you have been serving in areas and you say, you know, I remember when so-and-so served with me. I miss them. It's okay to miss them. It's okay to miss them. But if you are where God has put you, then you have to let them go so that you might embrace what God is doing in you. Now that is a powerful lesson for most of us, and I think the younger the generation you are, that is even a more powerful lesson that you are identified not by your community, but by the dream God's put on you. There's another kind of isolation I just call friendship isolation. There'll be times in our life that we're isolated socially. Doesn't matter how spiritual you are. You can't be spiritual enough that everybody's going to like you all the time. Moses was as spiritual as spiritual gets. Yet he leads 400, uh, 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 these people out of 400 years of slavery. They plunder another nation on the way. They have all the manna they can eat. Their shoes don't wear out. They have more money than they've had in 400 years. They're moving from slavery to riches to a place of promise. But the people begin to complain. And so what does Moses do? He feels very isolated. Leadership can be very lonely. 
Because you have to make decisions based on factors that everybody, that not everybody sees all of them, nor if they do, do they understand them. And so it can be a very lonely place. But what does Moses do? He withdraws to God and he says, forget what I've been through. God, these people are your people, they're not my people. What should I do? And Moses didn't worry about being isolated from people. He was concerned about being in fellowship with God. Now, there's a, a, the last kind of isolation is resource isolation. I believe God's will for our life is fullness so that we can be fully equipped and prepared to do everything God wants us to do. But even when you do everything right, sometimes there are seasons of lack. If that's not true, explain to me Job. <laughs> he did everything right. But the devil took Job's family, his money, his friends, his health, his reputation, and Job was sitting on an ash pile of life, and he did the right thing anyway. But he kept his focus right. What did he say? Though God slay me, yet will I serve him. My focus is on him, my faith is in him, my trust is in him, although I have nothing else to lose because I've lost it all. You can take my, my family, you can take my money, you can take my health, you can take my name, but devil, you cannot touch my spirit. It is safe with God. And this is one of the greatest tests of all because it re requires so much trust in God. When things are all going the wrong way and you're doing the right thing. If you're in a season of isolation, what should be your focus? Your relationship with God. Intimacy with God. Lean in to God. You have entered a season of isolation so that God might shut you into himself and you might come to know him better. Don't waste the season of isolation. Ultimately, it will be your relationship with God that you'll find the most joy and satisfaction and strength to endure that season. When I was uh, 19 and I had been out of high school and I didn't have the money to go to college, so I'd stayed home. I was working three jobs, so I didn't have a lot of spare time. I was trying to raise money to go off to college to go to um, school to train for ministry. And most of my friends had moved on to something else. And um, most of the people in my church weren't my age. And, so, uh, and then I, I entered a new job at a hospital. I never worked in a medical field before. And I worked in a hospital. And uh, most of my job was uh, walking by myself all day in different areas. And, and most of the people in my department were, were a, a race other than mine. Uh, I, if there were 400 people in my department, I think I was one of three uh, white people in my department. So... Uh, that was the first minority experience I'd ever had on that level. And, and I was treated fabulously. It was a great time for me. But it was a time of isolation. Everything was outside my connection and comfort zone. And as I walked through that season, I had to walk to work from four or five city blocks away. And I got to work and I walked alone, 32 miles of hallways, all through the hospital, from one area to another to another. And you know what I did? I took that season of isolation and I leaned into God. And if you were asking me today, where did you learn to pray? I learned to pray walking the hospital hallways, riding the elevators. And as I would walk, I would pray most of the day. 
I would pray and I would pray. And then when I would uh, transport patients from one area to another, I would pray for them if they didn't want to talk. I was glad to talk to somebody, but uh, you know, that I could hear back. But, but uh, if they didn't want to talk, I'd just pray for them. And my prayer life was shaped in, uh, in Baptist Memorial Hospital in Memphis, walking the hallways. Don't waste the season of isolation. God isolates you so that he might pull you into himself and, and make you the person of God he wants you to be. Number four, seasons of sacrifice. Nehemiah gave up a cushy job. Probably vacationing, uh, uh, holidaying, or summering in, in a, uh, a paradise with the king at the time. And he left the palace to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Moses gave up years of comfort and anonymity on the backside of the desert tending sheep so that he could go confront Pharaoh. The apostle Peter let go of this idea. We read it this week. If you've been following in our devotional, we read it this week. He let go of the idea that salvation was only for Jews. He had a vision telling him that God was going to pour his spirit out on all the Gentiles. And then there come moments in all our lives where God will ask us to let go of what is working and what is going well and what is right. What has produced for us in the past, it has been fruitful. What we love, our own comfort, so that we might go on to a new season and a higher place in Him. So that we might become the person that God wants us to be to fulfill the dream He's given us. When uh, In the 90s, when we were youth pastoring in uh, Florida, we had a phenomenal experience. Phenomenal six years Everything was clicking, everything was working, everything was growing, everything was fruitful. It was, every ministry dream that I had ever had was being fulfilled right before my eyes. It was, it was a, a beautiful time, a fabulous time, and I'll never forget when God began to stir our hearts. Stacy and I talked about this. When God began to stir our hearts, and by the way, he did it for two years. It took two years of stirring before we were convinced that a change needs to happen. I was riding in the car one day down the highway, Highway 85. I could take you to the spot I was passing. And I can remember having this overwhelming feeling of dread, this dreadful feeling, because I knew I only had two options left. Either you are going to stay here among the people that you love and the ministry that you love, or you are going to let go and go on to another season that God wants you to go on to so that he might fulfill and make you the person he wants you to be. And to be honest with you, it completely wrecked me. Like, I'd, I'd, when I came to faith in Christ, I had never been like a sellout. Like, I had never been a, a compromiser. Like, if I could think this is what God wanted me to do, I would do it. I didn't care what happened, I'd just try it. And so that's the first time in my, I can remember really straining going, God, I, I know without a doubt what you want me to do. But for the first time in my life, I'm not sure I want to do it. Because it hurts my heart. We didn't even know what we were going to do next. We just knew God was stirring us that your season here is ending. Now I've got a question for you this morning. 
Will you give up that which you love for what God wants you to become? Is there something in your life this morning that is working, that is good, that is comfortable, that is familiar, that God has used to produce fruit in your life that he's put his hand on and begin to ask you to give up? What do you focus on in this season? Focus on letting go and trusting God because it's a new season. Last one, number five. Then there are seasons of waiting. Sometimes God just seems to have us in a holding pattern. And you're waiting either because there's something in you or there's something in the circumstances that are getting worked out that can't get worked out if you're involved. Like there's some things God needs to do in you, he doesn't need your help. There's some things God needs to do around you, he doesn't need your help. In fact, if you help, you get in the way. And so what God has you is kind of on the sideline waiting this thing out and that waiting is bringing a pressure on you that lets the work of of God happen in you or that waiting gets you out of the way so God can do what he needs to do in the circumstances. We know from scripture waiting produces patience. James 1 tells us that. We know from Isaiah 40 waiting renews our strength. So what is your focus in the time of waiting? Focus on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, self-control. Focus on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does all this mean this morning? Let's bring all of this back to to kind of a a, a wrap-up point. I'll say it again. God fulfills his dreams through those who will commit to seasons of transformation. God fulfills his dreams to those who will commit to seasons of transformation. If you will allow God to make you the person he wants you to be, the dream he's given you will come to pass. It is the outgrowth, it is the overflow of what God is making you to be. The man or woman of God he's designed and called you to be will naturally fulfill the dream God has for you. So your focus is not so much on the big picture. Your focus is not so much on making the dream happen. Your focus is on becoming the the man or woman God wants you to be. God gives you the big picture to motivate you to let him do the inner work to inspire you, to let him do the work he wants to do inside your heart. So this morning... As we go to prayer, I got a question for you. What season are you in? What season are you in? Are you in a season of inspiration? Are you in a season of preparation? Are you in a season of insignificance or sacrifice? Are you in a season of waiting? And I'm sure there are other seasons in Scripture that I didn't pick out or highlight. Maybe you're in a different one, and that's okay. What season are you in? That was my prayer today, is that when you left, you would know what season you were in so that you could participate. You could partner with the Holy Spirit. You could lean in on that unique season and let God do everything He wants to do. So... Would you stand with me this morning? And I want to ask the prayer team if you'd come. And I want to ask you all across the room, if you just close your eyes for a minute. 
and we're going to begin to pray. We're going to turn, turn our attention now toward God. Turn our attention toward the work of the Holy Spirit in the people of God, in the men and women of God. Let's turn our attention to now what, what is He saying to me? What is He doing in me? What, how can I lean into this? Here's what, here's what I want you just to begin to pray. Lord, help me to see the season that I'm in. Help me to see the season of growth that I'm in. Without, without anybody looking around, if you already know the season that you're in, would you just lift your hand and let me see it? If you know what season you're in, doesn't matter which one, just lift it up. Lift it up. Just lift it up. Lift it up. Just hold it up for a second. So I would say less than a third of you know what season you're in. You can put it back down. That's okay. That's great. That's why we came today. Like if everybody would have already known that, there'd be no reason to preach this sermon. So here's what I want you to do. If you know what season you're in, I want to ask you to come for prayer today. And I want to ask you to come to one of the prayer team and just say, I'm in this season. Would you pray for me that God's going to help me take my next step in this season? If you don't know what season you're in, I want you to come for prayer this morning and say, would you just pray for me that God would help me know what season I'm in so that I might grow, so that I might change, so that I might continue to become the person God wants me to be? Would you just pray for me today? Lord, I love you today and I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you're here. You're the God of dreams and you're stirring dreams and you're forming dreamers today. Lord, I pray that you do your work now that only you can do. As I'm praying, would you come right now? If you lifted your hand, you know what your dream is. If you don't know what your dream is, and you say, God, help me today know what my dream is. I want you to come right now and let someone from the prayer team just minister to you. Just let them minister to you. Just let them encourage you, pray for you. And God's going God's to speak and he's going to clarify. What you're looking for today is clarity. God's going to bring clarity. Sharpen your vision. Lord, we worship you today and thank you. We thank you today. Yeah, just sing that song. And if you would, just lift your hands up. And recommit today. Lord, we give, give ourselves to you.